Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today we have Sterling White. Sterling has been a real estate investor for 10 years and currently has ownership in uh, nearly 500 units worth approximately $30 million, made up of both multifamily apartments and single family homes. So thank you so much for being on the show, Sterling. Yeah, so greatly appreciated to be a guest on here. And also I have exited out of all those single families, so no longer okay. own any of those. Awesome. Okay. So you're, you're primarily in a multifamily investor. All multifamily at this point in time. And for those of you on here, go ahead, strap yourselves in because we're going to take you along for a ride. <laughs> so uh, Sterling, give us a little background on yourself prior to starting to invest in real estate about a decade ago. Yeah. So I will just start from childhood and I'll give everyone just like a little cliff compact version. So single mother, fraternal twin brother, and grew up in the, the neighborhoods that when people would drive through them, especially at nighttime, they would lock their doors and then also roll up the windows. And so Section 8 housing, welfare, food stamps. And I remember there was one case, my brother and I, we were actually sitting, eating dinner at the uh, in the, the kitchen area. And it was like Roman noodles and cut up hot dogs. And as soon as we go upstairs, a bullet comes right through the back patio where we were wow. sitting. So I may not be or he may not be here, but ended up not being a product of that environment. Uh, and the whole entrepreneur spirit uh, came into existence for me is my very first product in elementary days was Kool-Aid, then shifted to Pokemon cards and anything I get my hands on in the legal sense. And then fast forward, got started in real estate. This was 2009, construction side. Shortly after that, found a mentor, bought my very first deal, 23 years old. Uh, this was a single family house. And then 2017, made the entire shift to multifamily. So you, you started from the other side of the investment spectrum on in construction. So why did you choose real estate as your investment vehicle? Was it just because you saw them making all this money on their side? Was there something else? Yeah, just from studying the wealthy, I saw that they didn't make their money because I was a laborer. I was mm -hmm. the one mixing up the mortar for the bricklayers and then providing it to them and <laughs> other odd jobs. So that's not how really people get wealth or it's not sustainable to become mm -hmm. wealthy. And I saw ultimately that it was through the passive income side, uh, through buy and hold. Uh, and that's when I ended up making the shift. So tell us about your first couple of real estate investments. Obviously you started in single family with a mentor. What were they like? Um, you know, what went wrong? What went right? I would say a lot more things went wrong than they did right. Uh, and more than happy to elaborate on those. But the first thing that I say I did right was one, I did not let my limiting beliefs dictate uh, as not getting started whatsoever. Because one, I was completely broke. I actually had negative funds in my bank account because I just overdrew it not being financially smart. And then also I really didn't have the experience, but I had the time and the hustle. And so from that was I just found someone who complimented my weaknesses, found someone who had the experience and uh, in addition to that had the cash. And this person was actually at my CrossFit gym. Uh, and it was one of those things that when the student is ready, the teacher shall arise. And I approached him and said, how can I help you in your business? Because he was already in real estate. And I say, here's the kicker. You don't have to pay me anything. So that's how I got my uh, 
internship, you could say in a way. And then there was a point where, interesting enough, he said, I would want to diversify from multifamily to single family. Normally, it's the other way around. Uh, and that was, he said, I don't have the time to find a deal. Sterling, go find the deal. And then that's how it really started from there. So that's that's great. So you were you were you were sourcing the deals, and he was sourcing the capital. And I imagine you guys were then partners on uh, managing the 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 projects. Is that correct? Correct. And he had majority. It was ninety percent equity to him and ten percent to me. And I thought long term, instead of just taking a simple wholesale fee, I requested to have equity in the deal. Yeah, that's great. That's definitely not what they teach you in normal wholesaling. It's usually people that need quick cash and they uh, they just they want it right away and they're not looking the long term uh, years down the road. So it's great that you had that from from the onset. So let's fast forward a little bit. So you're now you've um, you founded a company called Sonder Investment Group. Um, what is your current strategy there? Where are you guys investing? What are you looking for? Yeah, so here in the Midwest and primarily here based in Indianapolis and target other markets in Cincinnati, Ohio, Columbus, Ohio, in addition to Louisville, Kentucky, have an 80 unit there in Lexington, Kentucky and other markets within Missouri. And so it's purchasing assets, the whole value add, which of course that's loosely thrown out there, but have shifted the model from older C-class assets that have quite a bit of deferred maintenance and now targeting assets that are built between 1980 to 2000 that have less deferred maintenance uh, in terms of having to go in and do a, a lot of heavy lifting. So at your company, are, is your main focus on raising the money, asset management? Um, is it sourcing deals? Everything is vertically integrated, uh, except the property management element. So we're targeting apartments between 75 to 175 units. And we source, so we're the ones, we actually go direct to owner versus doing the broker uh, approach. We still nurture those relationships, but go direct. And then uh, also do the capital raising in-house and then on the back end, the asset management, but also the, the property management third party and flows up to the asset manager. Awesome. Yeah, I want to get into the sourcing deals in one second. But you have if you're doing everything vertically integrated, how are you managing 500 units um, in different states and in different markets? So from the standpoint, I will have to backpedal like a defensive back on the football team is when I meant vertically integrated. So technically not vertically integrated when you take into consideration not managing our own assets. So formerly was managing, but now third party. Uh, so from that case is now use multiple uh, property management companies in those different uh, markets. Nice, nice. So you guys are handling everything up to the property management in-house, which is a normal thing for most syndicators. I don't, I don't think many syndicators are handling all of their property management um, in-house. Very rarely you hear that. So, um, and normally it's too when they hit a certain capacity. Uh, let's say a thousand units or even more than that, then they will decide to bring it in. Because one thing that I learned is I, I built a property management company, which now is my third party management company because I exited out of that company, but that's a whole nother conversation. But uh, in essence is that doing acquisitions and also property management, those are two separate businesses in themselves. So that was one thing looking back is, hey, it would have been preferable just to focus on one thing and then bring the, the third party. Yeah, no, when I started out, it was, uh, I did everything. And then I kind of was pushed into doing uh, having a third party manager. And it was like the best thing. It was kind of one of those things where, because now you like you said, now you can really focus on building the business, not just managing what you have, because obviously, obviously after something's really value added, and you've done the work to it. Um, 
it doesn't require that much um, on site, you know, uh, uh, for you being on site and being mm -hmm. a project manager. I mean, you're really just managing systems in place. So yeah, exactly. Especially when you uh, acquire an apartment that is over 75 units. Now you actually have a team on site, a community manager, as well as a maintenance tech. So now you can manage that team from afar. But if you're doing, of course, a more heavy lifting project, then that's when it's even more intensive to be hands on. Yeah. And then your property management fees are a fraction of what they would be on a uh, small complex or a small portfolio. So. Exactly. Um, so let's talk about sourcing deals, because it's something where in the syndication realm, it's very unheard of to be going direct to seller. I mean, we do direct mailing to smaller multifamilies. Um, it's how do you how are you if you're focusing on 75 to 175 units? Um, how are you sourcing those off market? What have you found to be the best methods for, I guess, circumventing a broker or going, you know, how, how you how you would have found them. Yeah. And one thing I want to mention, Charles, is direct to owner versus direct to seller, because a ah, lot of these okay. uh, individuals are not even in the market to, to sell whatsoever. And one thing I want to mention to everyone on here, just uh, the context is if a broker sends you over a deal. It's not one of those things that you go around the broker and then go direct to owner. That's a huge no, no. Uh, it's more of we decided to build our own list. And then from there, we do our own prospecting. So we use a database such as either Reonomy, uh, and I'm not affiliated with either of these, is reonomy.com, uh, either or costar.com. And from there is we'll pull apartments that uh, are over between 75 to 175 units. Uh, we'll comb through that to find the ones that actually fit our criteria. And then from there, we'll skip trace to find who the owners are of those. Majority of the time they're in the LLC, so you have to go the extra mile. And then once we've combed through that is that's when we'll start the actual outbound calls. So when you're when you're building the database and you're looking for just these type properties, obviously you're using a lot of techniques from your single family days uh, because mm -hmm. these are common things for wholesaling other than the LLC. Most properties that you're wholesaling single family aren't owned by an LLC, but a lot of them are owned usually just and you find their name and you've already got done the hard work. But so you're going the extra mile, you're digging through all the LLCs. Now, when you skip trace it, are you going through What's the main, what's the first, are you mailing first? Are you then calling cold second? Call. Cold call all, okay. Yep, cold call is the very first step. And I would say for everyone who was on here, the absolute game changer for me, and please just write this down if you can. If there's one thing you could get uh, a takeaway from this, it is the follow up. The follow up has been what really, just from personal experience here, that separates the novices from the newbies or the newbies from the novices. Uh, novices from the amateurs, amateurs from the pros, etc. And from that is it takes between the six to eight attempt just to get in contact with the person. And many of the times they're not interested in selling. So the 80 unit that we acquired, this was in Louisville, Kentucky, this was about a year and a half ago, is it took seven times just to get in touch with one of the decision makers of the property. They weren't interested. And then it took additional follow-ups of, I'm here in Indianapolis and I would make trips to Louisville, Kentucky. So it would be Monday and I would say, his name's Bill. I'm actually gonna be in the market this upcoming Thursday, would enjoy getting a face-to-face -face, uh, and see how we can bring back. So uh, along those lines, in terms of just constantly staying in touch uh, and it's just about one, setting an expectation, multiple attempts just to get in contact. And then a lot of times they're not interested. You just got to keep following up and creative follow-up to stay top of mind because it comes down to timing. So what is the other 
this is something that I found when dealing with multifamilies versus contacting single family homes. Usually when you're, you're finding, uh, you're wholesaling, you're finding single family homes, you're finding properties that the people are in a hardship, right? Mm -hmm. um, with multifamily, it's not always, it's not always the situation. You'll find it where people, even if it's the beginning of COVID or wherever it was, and you're talking to people and they, you know, so many people are paying rent, you know, a few people are paying late, but they don't have to sell a property. It's financially covering their debt. They're doing so. Is it just staying top of mind in the sense of just telling them when you're ready to sell? Is it waiting for that life change? I mean, usually when we do it, I'll put it out like maybe three months or six months to follow up with them. Is that normally how you're doing it, or you're doing it a lot less than that? So this is a rabbit hole in a way, and it, it, <laughs> there's a context on how they express the not interest. And then also there's other key elements too. Uh, so for that property that was in Louisville, Kentucky is one. Uh, one of the trips that I made down there, because I made multiple uh, trips just to really build the relationship. And whenever I make a trip out to a property with an owner, I also set up other meetings too. That's a little hack for everyone. In case that one falls through, you've got other ones to go, uh, go to. And gosh, what was I gonna mention on that, Charles? Where are we going with that? Well, the follow, we were talking about follow-up timeframes and stuff like that. Oh, yes. And so this property was 60 to 65% occupied for the course of a year, year and a half. And he mentioned some of those units that I'd walked through, they had not walked through in months. So that was one of those that they mentioned not interested at this point in time, uh, but somewhere in the near future. Uh, so that's one where I then stayed even more consistent and aggressive because I saw that there was a downward spiral with the, the, the property itself. And then also the son was the one that got thrown into the fire to manage the property. No experience in business, let alone property management. However, if I call an owner and then they mention that they had owned it, let's say six years and they plan on passing it down to their, their relatives, then that's someone I'll push it down a little bit further along. Okay. Yeah. I, I, and you like in the follow up too, I found so many different things where people are like, no, I'm not selling it a few months later then they're saying that, uh, you know what, I found something else I want to 1031 into and you're just keeping in contact with them. It's amazing what can happen. And um, you've got to have a great CRM for what you're doing for keeping track of everything. But it's, um, it's a whole different you're dealing with a whole different um, like person between this and single family. So if anybody here has ever direct mailed out the single family, you have to change your tactics a little bit because you're dealing with a different, you know, different person, most likely a more, more sophisticated. sophisticated. Yep, yeah, there we go. Yeah, For more sure. sophisticated oftentimes. And I had a deal the other day. This was a, a very small deal that just came across it that it was four months ago, we reached out to them. They said not interested in selling, but you could really see that there was some hesitation and I no longer make the calls. I have a team that does it. And then followed up a month later and they said, yeah, I'm ready to sell. So that goes to show you how quickly things can change. And we're, we're actually closing on it this week, but that goes to show you how quickly things could change. And that's why it's so important to stay uh, follow up, even though you get kicked in the face, someone says not interested and in some very not so nice things, things can change and they may even, well, oftentimes they won't call you, but still just staying top of mind. Yeah. It's amazing too, because uh, we just picked up out of a portfolio. It was 90 units. There's a 22 unit that was mom and pop operated and um, they were paying the, the owner was paying his uh, soon to be ex son-in-law a uh, 15% to manage it. And um, I mean, it just was like crazy where, this is going on and you're just as an investor, you're like, oh my God, this is great. Like there's so much fat here on the boat, you know what I mean? Kind of a thing. But it's, you have to really 
you know, when you're talking to them, when you're, you're not going to know that up front. You're just going to know that obviously when he bought it, he wasn't planning on his daughter being divorced. So it was just, you keep it, you nurture it. And then um, at that point when they're like, you know, this is not what I wanted when I invested in this and uh, you're there to kind of scoop it up. So, um, so how do you, I mean, imagine you guys definitely work with brokers as well, because we're dealing with larger apartment complexes. So tell me how you work with the brokers. Are you picking them out in different areas? Um, obviously, is, is it a focus of yours or is it just something that's complementary to what you're doing? Yeah, it's more of complementary. It's, I mean, it has been close. I had a broker send over a deal. This was a 2018 built, newly constructed in Louisville, just over a hundred units in uh, in which the average rents were about $900. And I did the underwriting and I said, there's really not much in terms of being able to push up the rents. And I said, this is the most we could pay for it, $7 million. They came back and said, this, the owner wants 12 and a half. <laughs> it's like, I mean, and one thing I always look at the price per door, especially here when it comes to the Midwest is, if the rents are nine hundred dollars and the per, and the the operator is looking for one hundred and twenty thousand per door, I just know that without even going into the trenches isn't even going to be close for our numbers. So that's how things have been working with my relationship with brokers so far. Okay, yeah, it it really. Uh, you have to, it's a, if you're going to actually source and use brokers, it's really, you need someone on your team that's really going to spend a full-time job to source the deals. And if that's your specialty, when you're partnering with someone, um, that's great. But it's also something that takes a lot of work for them to actually send you something that's actually going to pencil. And they know what they're sending out is going to be high. I mean, they've spoken to the owners. If they're actually active in that market, they're going to know exactly that, hey, this is kind of crap. I'll send to this new guy that's calling me. But um, I mean, it's just it's just something that happens. So that's great that you still get it and you're working with them. It's just a whole different avenue with the with off off uh, market. And, and I'm glad you did point that out because it's two different. If, if you're going to go the broker's route, definitely have someone keyed in on that. And then if you're going to go the off market route, I'm telling you, the off market route is you could say another business in a system in itself. So it's of course, if you're doing one thing, then that detracts your your focus from the other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. That's great. Yeah. And then also, um, you know, you're, you're going to be, you're going to be doing a lot more work and legwork when you're dealing with sourcing the unit, the, the deals directly, but then hopefully there's not someone else there competing alongside you. And obviously if you're buying mom and pops or something from small investment groups, they might not have the best records. So you're spending part of your time. Like putting, I agree. Yes. <laughs> putting together financials and stuff. And you're like, uh, so I know exactly what's going on, but that's that's what you're getting the discount and you're also getting that so they're not like hey you're the 24th bidder on this property you know yeah and so the 156 unit that we acquired uh here in indianapolis we got close to minimally a one million dollar discount if that would have sold on the uh, open market but of course there's a lot of no's that go into that from the front end uh there in terms of the financials that were provided was very ugly more legwork versus when you have a broker they're the ones that's assisting with servicing and then and also the brokers is doing all the front end leg work for you. But with that is you oftentimes have the competition because other people don't have the time to build out a system to do the direct approach. So that's why they go to the broker. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. So they're sending it out. And if you're getting an email from one of the large national brokers, I mean, they have a list that, that you're on that is huge. And they're going to find someone to pay it, especially if you're in one of these markets that people are coming in from other states where it's not landlord friendly. So, um, so you're, you're a coach and your mentor to an, and you speak to a number of investors. So 
Give me a couple different common mistakes that you see new investors make. I would say the patience uh, element of things. Of course, when you want to move with speed at the same time, but some individuals just have the unrealistic, uh, what is it? Yeah, expectations of what it takes at the end of the day. I was speaking to someone and let's just go back to the follow-up is they said direct mail is not working. And I asked them, how many times did you hit the list? They told me one time, Charles. I almost got the phone. So there, there's that expectation. And then how much amount of work goes into actually taking these deals down? Uh, because of course, we've got the social media that just highlights taking the deal down in itself. Oh, close on this uh, apartment complex. But no one sees all of the work, <laughs> all of the months and rejection that led up to that. So I would just say the expectations. Uh, and then also in addition to that, the uh, patience. How would you suggest someone prepare themselves who wants to start investing in real estate? I would say for sure, start with the mental. Uh, one quick story for everyone is one that was very pivotal for me is this was my early 20s and really changed the trajectory of my life. So I was at this co college party, having a good time, doing what college kids do. Uh, and I end up veering away from the crowd and I'm out in the middle of this uh, boat uh, in the middle of this lake or pine, whichever it was. But there's this beaming question that comes down to me and says, Sterling, is this what you want to do with your life? And up until that point, I was really just drifting into average land. And I answered back to that question, no, this is not. And then after that, I cut off all my friends uh, because they were not going where I wanted to go. Great people. Uh, second was I... Uh, cut out the news. And then third was I focused on mindset uh, because what I did was I replaced a lot of limiting beliefs and replaced them with more empowerings. So when I made that shift, Charles, from construction to investing, I didn't think of all the barriers. I just said, how can I do this versus, okay, that's a barrier. I'm not going to be able to get through it. Right. Okay. Yeah. The news is one thing that will drive you insane if you listen to it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and everyone says, Oh, you're, you're, how can you not, I don't hear it anymore, but uh, how, how can you not watch the news? You got to be informed. If something is important enough, someone will let you know. My mom will let me know. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing too, is with the, how the news and social media, everything is uh, set now, not to go down a rabbit hole, but it's, um, everything's told that it's your problem. Well, you know, most of the news, it's not my problem and there's nothing I can do about it. So exactly. why am I, you know what I mean? So, um, but so what do you suggest to new investors to start with single family like you did or small multifamily before going into syndications and larger projects or? So I am going to pull from both ends. If you can go larger, by all means do that. However, what helped me, and if I were to go do it all over again, I would still start with single family because lower uh, barrier to entry, was able to get my foot in the door and the snowball went from there uh, versus I wouldn't want someone to come up with the excuse that uh, I'm not able to go to the, the larger deal. It's, in the event that you do go to a larger deal, uh, have someone uh, that can, uh, just a personal experience that you can ride along with them uh, versus taking all the risk on uh, yourself. Yeah, if you're able to get someone to write, let, allow you to ride along and you can bring value to it, which might be tougher exactly. for new investors uh, to find. But um, I started off with like three family, multifamily, and you could get that fixed long-term debt, which I tell people now, you know, don't do anything that's like variable. Start off with something fixed, long-term debt on your first project, um, minimal work to be done on the property, almost turnkey, and make sure you have reserves. And at that point, you really very difficult to lose, right? It's when people go in and they're like, oh, I got a, I'm moving walls and uh, we're doing this and we're doing like, that's not what you want for your first project. It's something that's like, 
they say it's turnkey, which means it still needs some work, but it's something that you can do, you know what I mean, yourself with a handyman and this or that, whatever. But um, yeah, if someone mentions to me that, oh, it's currently two or three bedrooms, uh, I can move this while I'm like, oh, <laughs> man, you're talking about move. that's, that's quite a bit to do. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And um, I think it's also too, is depending on who the one who is showing them the properties too. it's a, so you get a realtor that never worked with investors and they're like, oh yeah, it's not bad. You can, this closet can be a, a bathroom in no time, you know, but uh, so what do you think are the main factors that have contributed to your success, Sterling? Mindset is Mindset. one. I would say that is huge. One person that really I'm dating myself and I'm not even old, but uh, uh, in essence is Earl Nightingale. Mm-hmm. Uh, Earl Nightingale is the, they say the, the Dean of uh gosh, what is it? Self-development. And that was one person that I came across when I had that pivotal moment. Uh, of course, the Tony Robbins, the Zig Ziglar's, the Jim Rohn's. Uh, so there's that mindset, huge for me. Uh, second is mentorship. That was very powerful. Uh, I went into college debt, about $30,000 worth of that, dropped out to focus full-time on real estate, got nothing from that debt. And then from the actual mentorship, I would have paid close to a million dollars from that. Uh, and yeah, that, that's just a personal experience share how vital that was for me. And then the third is just learning sales. Sales is everything and not even just in business, but in life. Yeah, that's a hundred percent. That's definitely, it doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum of as being a partner. If you're the analytical person, there's still sales involved. If you're asset management, property management, sales involved for sure when you're dealing with tenants and contractors. Um, So let's talk more about you. You have a podcast, you're an author. Uh, Tell us more about other businesses you operate with within the realm of real estate. Uh, yeah, so primary focus is on the acquisitions in the uh, apartment side, syndications, also assist individuals that are looking to get coached along. But my main mission is really just being an ideal and the message for those individuals that came from the environment that I came from that, hey, you don't have to take this common path that most people do uh, take, which unfortunately my brother uh, took is facing hard time. But hey, this is a different direction that you could take. And here's how I took it. And here's the blueprint ultimately. Awesome. Okay. So uh, Sterling, tell us about how people can learn more about you and your businesses. Yeah. So one, you can follow me on the Instagram, Sterling White Official. One more time, that is Sterling White Official. And then there's my uh, website, which is sonderinvestmentgroup.com. That is S-O-N-D-E-R investmentgroup.com. Okay. Awesome. So I will put all those links into the uh, podcast notes and the YouTube notes. And thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you, Charles. Talk to you soon. Hi guys, it's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at ScheduleCharles.com. That's ScheduleCharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed.
all investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Syndication Superstars Incorporated exclusively.